Coming up in this episode of Not So Secret Dad's Business. For some reason, parenting seems to be the last bastion of contemporary society that hasn't had the outdated gender assumptions actually challenged in any meaningful way. It's still, you know, mothering is is catch-all for actual parenting. And while I love a compliment as much as the next bloke, it's only that when you realise that Although the, the compliments might be well-meaning or come from a good place, some of them are borderline patronising, like, you know, oh, who did her hair? Dad did, wow, that's amazing, it's a French rack. It's not curing cancer, it's, <laughs> it's parenting. Are you new to fatherhood? Not sure if you're dadding to your full potential? Well, you've come to the right place. Most dads aren't talking to each other about their lives as dads. Like it's some kind of secret. Well, this is the podcast that takes the secret out of fatherhood. This is Not So Secret Dad's Business. G'day, g'day. Welcome to another episode of Not So Secret Dad's Business, guys. We're back for 2022. So, I thought first I'll update you guys on everything that's been going on. So... Uh, as of last year, when I went on hiatus, I actually pulled the pin originally. Uh, I wasn't going to continue the show. And thanks to you guys reaching out, you know, saying that you hope the show comes back and, and you've been enjoying it, I figured I couldn't let you guys down. So I decided to keep pushing forward with Not So Secret Dad's business. So this year basically what's going to happen is it's all going to be a little bit different from from the previous 42 odd episodes and basically we're going to go from an episode every week like I was last year and I'm going to go to every two weeks now because I'm I'm an independent podcaster guys I don't have a management team I don't have a production team I don't have booking agents I don't have any of that flash stuff I'm doing all of this by myself so moving forward every fortnight, so then that way I can spend the extra time in between to produce something worthwhile. Now, also, in the time off that I've taken as well, the podcast has gone on to a few other streaming services now. I've also created a new website for the podcast. So if you don't have streaming service apps on your phone or on your computer or whatever it may be, you can now go to my website, which is notsosecretdadsbusiness.com, and you can check out the podcast right there. Just click on the podcast page, and all the episodes will be there. And it'll update as well as, as each episode goes up, so you'll be kept up to date and know what's going on all the time. There is also, for those that want to be a guest, there is a Be A Guest page. So you'll be able to go on there, click on the calendar, and be able to find a time slot that suits you, and we can sit down and have a chat. So if that's something you'd like to do, feel free, go to the website, check it out. Now, on to this week's episode. Now, this episode, I'm speaking to Michael Ray. Now, Michael is an older father. His daughter came into his life in his early 50s, and he basically had to change his whole life around. So Michael was working with some of the top athletes in the world, and he was doing a lot of great things for, for Australian sport. But once his daughter came along, all his priorities shifted, and his main focus became being a father. So this week's episode, we ended up talking about parental and gender stereotypes and how we can break it, right? So 
We're talking about basically the differences between mums and dads and where we need to be breaking down the, the social stereotypes and the social stigmas. Um, equality, essentially. It's all about equality. Now, Michael is also the author of a couple of books. His first book is called Who Knew? From Bouncing and Barbells to Ballet and Braids. The other book that he's, he's just released is with his daughter, Charlie, and it's called A Step in the Right Direction. So book one came out just before Christmas, and for less than $5, guys, it's an absolute steal. And I think it's a great little book to, to share with our kids, you know. I think reading with our kids is important. And so if, you, if you're interested, go to Michael Ray's website and check it out. You can grab it straight from his website there. Anyhow, you're not here to listen to me yabber on. So let's get into today's episode. And I hope you guys enjoy. All right. I hope you can take something away from it. So here we go. Enjoy the conversation I had with Michael Ray. Good thanks, Nate. Yourself? Yeah, good, mate. Firstly, just to kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself and and your experiences so far as a dad. I was a late starter to fatherhood, Nate. Became a first-time dad at 49 years old. Shortly afterwards, after a short-term relationship, separated from my daughter's mother. Well, we separated when she was nine months old, and since she was two years old, it's been just Charlie and I until the last couple of years. I've got a fantastic partner now, but for seven years, just my daughter and I, and it really gave me a grounding and a bit of an awakening about some of the barriers and hurdles that fathers chase, you know, accepted just as a parent. There is a bit of a stigma, isn't there? And I've, I've often had those comments of, oh, dad's babysitting today, or what did you do to upset mom? Clearly she needs you out of the house for a bit of peace and quiet. That's it, Nate. It's called parenting. And for some reason, parenting seems to be the last bastion of contemporary society that hasn't had the outdated gender assumptions actually challenged in any meaningful way. It's still, you know, mothering is is catch-all for actual parenting. And while I love a compliment as much as the next bloke, it's only that when you realise that Although the, the compliments might be well-meaning or come from a good place, some of them are borderline patronising, like, you know, oh, who did her hair? Dad did. Wow, that's amazing. It's a French rat. It's not curing cancer. It's <laughs> it's parenting, you know. And as I say, you know, I've got so many mum friends who, because of the platform and the position I'm in as an advocate and an international speaker on fatherhood and parenting, they get a little bit frustrated that dads get all this praise until I point out to them it's because the bar is set so low. We considered that inept, the media has portrayed us as bumbling man-childs that just basically keeping the child dead and dressed in a reasonable manner, you're seen as amazing. Whereas mums are held to a much harsher standard where even if a mum has a great career, they wear a little bit of the, oh, but what about your children? And instead of going, well, they've got a father who's more than capable, why should I be it? You know, they wear the guilt and the stigma as well. So it's the opposite side of the same ridiculous outdated gender coin that just needs to be thrown in the rubbish bin of history. Absolutely, absolutely. And especially with, with, you know, feminism having been so powerful in the last five years, for example, there's been this massive fight for equality, but it seems like there's that blind spot in equality where it's just not seen, not thought about. 
Uh, and, you know, as for media, you're totally spot on. You know, you've got your, your Phil Dunphy's with, you know, Modern Family, your, your Al Bundy's, your Homer Simpson's. You know, it's, it's always the bumbling idiot father, always making mistakes. Now, you, you mentioned uh, feminism. I'd prefer to think of it as uh, women's equality. But until men are enabled, encouraged, and finally expected to be held equally responsible for raising the next generation, Women's equality simply can't happen. So it doesn't matter what initiatives, what programs, what legislation we put in place to enable women to fully pursue whatever choices they want to make. Mm-hmm. They won't be able to grasp those opportunities when both hands are still full of child caring responsibilities. Because the silly thing is the overwhelming majority of women's equality initiatives were conceived and drafted in a time when men were either considered unable, uninterested, or unsuited to raising children. So they basically were, how can we enable women to increase their opportunities outside of the home, within the workforce, while still maintaining their caring responsibilities within the home? So the fact that affordable childcare, flexible work, work from home, all of these things are seen as enabling women to go into the workforce. Well, that's only the point because men aren't enabled to step out of the workforce and assume their fair share of caring, but also the rewards of doing it as well, because it's a wonderful thing to have. I would have slept, walked into the standard heteronormative dad breadwinner, mum homemaker role if it hadn't have been for my situation where suddenly I was thrust into the sole carer's role. Mm-hmm. And I've never found anything that's been more fulfilling, more rewarding and more satisfying than being a parent. So I stepped away from a career that I loved, you know, a six-figure great career. And now I couldn't think of anything worse of having that impact my time with my child because most of the male-dominated industries, such as transport, construction, manufacturing, are the least family-friendly ones. So it's very hard if you're a blue-collar worker to say to your boss, I'll come in at 9.30 because I've got to do the school run and I need to be gone. You know, I've got a sports day or anything like that. But a lot of the white-collar jobs, they add themselves a lot more flexibility. But the biggest employers in Australia are the male-dominated industries of construction, mining, forestry, manufacturing, transport that just don't have those allowances or those considerations in because you're the breadwinner. Mum's the carer, so deal with it. See, I'm I'm in I'm in the uh, transport sector, automotive sector. When it came to the parental leave, I asked to have the two weeks off, just to have those couple of weeks, just to bond with my son, spend some time with him, help my partner sort of ease into a new routine at home, all that sort of thing. But I was looked at like I had four arms and four legs, you know, and I was made to feel so guilty about it that I only ended up taking a couple of days off work. And then I said to my partner, look, I've, I've got to go back to work. You know, I understand that you could use my my help here, but I've got to go. And I find it frustrating that, yeah, it's, it's almost expected that the female side of the relationship is going to get that three months paid annual leave and the dad's meant to be straight back at work the next day. Yeah, it, it's terrible. Mate. Only 5% of fathers actually take the full entitlement of the two weeks. That's the pressure that's placed on dads to be present at work. And a lot of the time it's um, misrepresented that men aren't interested again. Nothing could be further from the truth. I speak to thousands of dads over the year and the one regret they have is missing those significant moments, the early involvement, time that can never be gotten back. 
those moments are forever gone. And the places that do have a shared parental leave scheme in place, it's treated like fight club. Don't talk about it. Don't mention it. If you're going to take it, sneak off, come back. But then we fathers face what I call microaggressions. Oh, did you enjoy your time off? How was your break? And you know, anyone who's been responsible for an infant, especially women, it's no break, but it's vitally important. But what happens is dads are given two weeks. So if you want to talk about undervaluing of a father's role within a child's life, two weeks, you're kidding me. In a country where we get a day off for a horse race and a day off for a um, grand final, and then we're told, but you can have 10 days off to help get you involved in your child's life. And what happens in that initial two weeks, we go back to work. Our children develop that quickly, that I know what worked with my child one week wouldn't work the next week. Straight away, we go, well, you know, hand it back to our partner. What should I do? And then we become the most willing and enthusiastic assistant. But that role can be set, that tone and trajectory can go on from there. And just because it's not that mums have the secret sauce, this mythical maternal instinct or anything like that. There's a parental instinct that we all possess that need to provide and protect and nurture and that undying love. That doesn't come through giving birth to that child. That comes from devotion and love and attachment. You know, when I hear this, oh, you don't know what it's like because you didn't carry her for nine months. And that's why I say, you're right. I never could, got no idea, and it's amazing. I've got so much respect. And any man that sees their child's mother go through birth and isn't struck with a combination of awe and respect and just admiration and a little bit of guilt of what they're going through to bring our child into the world, I don't know about that. But the way that these people can speak with great certainty and clarity about my love and my connection and the lesser value of it to my child because I didn't carry her. Well, they're not only having a dip at me as a father, they're having a dip at step, adoptive, foster, same-sex parents who achieve through surrogacy, grandparents, all of their love isn't on the same value or the same level of worth because that mum carried it. Well, you know, that's just ridiculous. Now, one point you brought up in, in there that I really relate to as well is that point where the development is so fast you do sort of forget. You, you don't know what's going on because things have changed. Uh, and then the run-on effect from that. Now he's five years old and I still defer to her because I've got into that habit of, okay, hey, look, I think it's okay. What do you think? And then if she says no, all right, sorry, buddy, that's it. Mum's mum's word is final. That's it. Now, it's really common and it's great and a lot of times the majority of the times again it comes from a really well-meaning and great place where we think you know I, I don't want to do the wrong thing I'll defer to mum and that's fine but for some reason with children we feel like we might be stepping overstepping the mark if we don't check with mum and I guarantee a lot of the times as long as it's not something that we've definitely gone this is not okay this is not what we do you know it's not that mother knows best. That's why I keep saying it's simply the practice makes progress. So we get better at it. When I started with my daughter, I had no idea. You know, I've actually gone off and started studying developmental psychology. And with my academic knowledge now, when I look back at the way I raised my daughter, there's not a lot that I would have changed. But there are only 
all basic parenting styles. And the variance between parents is greater than the variance between genders. So as I say to dads, don't be fearful of parenting differently to your child's mother, just as we're not fearful of parenting different from our parents. If mum and dads were meant to do it exactly the same, there'd be no need for a mum and a dad. So we both have uh, unique things that we contribute in our parenting approach, but there are only four styles. There's authoritarian, which not so good, authoritative, which is the best one, permissive and neglectful. So what we want to do is just have the authoritative one and that's all there is. So that's across all cultures, across all, all genders, four styles, and you're going to fall into one or a combination of them. Yeah, wow. That's interesting. I hadn't, hadn't realised that it just it fell into four sections like that. Um, what I'm curious to hear about from you, Michael, is that, you know, obviously being a single father to a daughter, there are a lot of different things that you would get involved in with your daughter that I wouldn't get involved in with my son. Now, I believe you're a dance dad. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I was, Nate. My daughter did ballet, not me. I know it's hard to believe, but she was the one doing the ballet and only dad there. And with ballet, if you've ever been part of it, you don't get to sit in at the class and watch. You've got to sit in the hallway with all the other mums. And so three-year-old ballet school was a bit awkward, became one of the honorary, honorary mums. Uh, we had a concert, was great. I was a blubbering mess as, as usual and getting teased by the other mums about being a silk, and that's okay. My daughter joined in. Four-year-old ballet concert, uh, we get the information, and all the way through the information for the concert, it's got just things that I thought were an oversight. I'm used to doing it because a lot of times where they mean parents, they put mothers. So in the information ad, mothers are expected to be available for the full three-hour dress rehearsal. Mothers need to ensure that the ballet bun is done in line with this. Mothers need to ensure that the lipstick shade for your child is this shade. Uh, there's a special Mummy and Me ticket offer for any other children. And right at the end, it's got, and of course, there are no males allowed in the backstage area. So it was, you know, I just thought it's an oversight. It's just a standard printing form that they give out. So at the pre-concert meeting, I've raised my hand and said, well, you know, this bit about uh, no fathers, uh, no males allowed. Well, I have to be. And it was, why do you have to be? And I've gone, well, I'm Charlie's only parent. And it was all, you know, does she have an auntie or a nana? And I said, well, she's got both of those, but I'm her parent. And it was, well, if you bring her to the backstage door, we're more than capable of looking after her. And I said, well, hang on. I said, that would be fine if you're, going to look after all of the children if there's no parents I'm a parent so we need to figure this out here because she can't be the only child backstage she can't look around and go with a parent with a parent with a parent with a parent and here I am on my own and then the uh, school principal said well Michael it's not about you and I said exactly it's not about me it's about my daughter being made to feel different because of our family situation I said this isn't me being belligerent or anything like that this is the option either I'm backstage with her or no one is because I don't know whether I can arrange somebody but nor should I have to and again this is where women's equality is impacted because 
if I did have a partner or Charlie's mum was in her life and she had a job and she had to take the day off to go to a three-hour dress rehearsal rather than be present at work, this is where the damage is done to um, employees and mothers. And that's why I say that the fact that we still classified parents as primary and secondary, it's so culturally harmful because not only does it have the potential to diminish, even damage the relationship between fathers and children, but also between mothers and employers. So we're both parents. Mm-hmm. And the fact that somehow we've allowed breadwinning to be classified as secondary or somehow separate from caregiving is a joke, especially when you look at the 20, the outcomes for the 20% of children who live in poverty. Breadwinning is a vital and integral part of caregiving. You're putting the roof and the food and providing opportunities and resources for your child. That's like saying somehow washing your own clothes and making your own bed isn't caregiving. It's only when you're hands-on with a child that you're a caregiver. It's part and parcel of the whole thing. And we need to stop separating because it's also allowed workplaces to be willfully blind to our parental responsibilities. Why am I at work and why is work important to me is because it enables me to provide for my family. And the reason why men don't take that full allowance of parental leave and are worried about being seen as less committed at work because they're more committed at home, the reason why that worries them is not because of their career, but they worry because it will impact their ability to provide for their family. That's the only reason. It's not Absolutely. Like- I love work so much. Please, I would love to work 80 hours a week. We want to be with our kids, but we want to be able to provide for them because guess what? It doesn't matter how good a, how good a nurturer you are as a man. Society says if you can't provide and if you can't provide well for your child, you're a bit of a dud. You're a bit of a dud as a man and, you know, your wife can take care of all that other stuff, but you got one job. so. We go back to the ballet concert and said, you know, this isn't a men's rights issue. This isn't, this is my daughter. So at that stage, we were just going through the marriage equality debate in Australia. And that's why I said, one day we're going to have two dads, two mums, you know, and now is the time to do it. For goodness sake, you're the best, you're the liberal arts, the bastion of contemporary progressive thinking. And you're here now saying that I can't, be backstage with my daughter because I'm a bloke. Then they turned around and said, oh, it's a child protection issue. And I said, well, I hate to tell you this, but I've been a swim teacher for about 18 years. I've got my working with children check. I'm trusted with other children. And you're telling me I can't be trusted with my own. Luckily, my mum tribe had my back and they all threatened to boycott. So they wanted to work something out. But in the meantime, one of the mums, uh, she had a great friend in Susie O'Brien, a reporter for the Herald Sun. She made contact with me that afternoon and I got in touch with the Equal Opportunities Commission and was told that it was against the law. The story came out in the Herald Sun. Next minute, we're on news nationally, internationally, BBC. We've even had Disney reach out and do a story on us. So fair to say, when I walked back in for the ballet concert meeting about whether we could get me backstage, I was a little bit sort of... (laughs) That that sort of... uh, caught fire a bit. I'm sorry about that. But the silly thing is they offered the uh, ballet school a chance to comment 
and they did a no comment interview. And that's why I said, I mean, you missed a huge opportunity. You could have just gone, thanks to the wonderful diversity of contemporary families and the evolving way that we're doing it and women's equality. This is a great thing. And we want to be the first one to remove those outdated things. How good are we? And instead you did no comment, no comment and dragged your feet. And now you look ridiculous. Yeah. Don't put that on me. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're 100% right. It is taking away from your daughter. It's got nothing to do with you. Because I could just imagine what it would be like for her to be backstage. All these other girls have, have their mother or a parent to share that nervous energy with, to bounce off of, get that reassurance and all that sort of thing. But women don't just become mothers. People become parents. It changes all of us forever. In, in our own unique ways, given our situation and circumstances. And until fatherhood is spoken about in the same glowing terms as motherhood, this paradigm won't shift until we go, you know what? Uh, I'm changed. I'm changed forever. Yeah. I'm not the bloke I was before I had my daughter. And I'm glad that I'm not. And I wish every bloke, um, you know, if I could say to them anything, I would say, don't doubt yourself because it changes you. So you may not feel like you're prepared to do it now, but you'll change. It, it will come. We know through a process called neuroplasticity, our experiences have the ability to actually rewire our brains. So if we want more caring, empathetic, and emotionally intelligent men, we need to give them more opportunities to do caring and be empathetic and raise their children. And, you know, so much of society could be changed with that just simple change in mindset of women don't just become mothers, people become parents, and we need to accept, encourage, and enable it. You hit the nail right on the head there. Well, I mean, I've, I've experienced that myself. Like I mentioned before we started recording, you know, because I, was, uh, I didn't have that full two-week period and I went straight back to work, I, I would spend my weekends every minute with my child, you know, and quite often I'd all right, I'm taking the kid to go and shopping. And then I'd have those moments, say, uh, being at the, the local shopping centre or whatever, I'd have to take him to the parents' room to change his, his, his nappy. And I'd get the filthiest looks and I'd be treated like a criminal or a perv or something along those lines. And I'd walk out of there feeling like an asshole. So in the end, I started just changing him in the, in the men's room. And if they had a countertop there where the sinks are, yeah, I'd change him there. But if I couldn't, I'm poor kids on the, on the filthy damn floor, you know, trying to change him there. Yeah. But then I feel like an asshole because there are other dads walking in going, mate, what are you doing changing him on the floor? There's a mother's uh, parent's room right next door. I'm like, yeah, but have you been in there? Have you received those filthy looks? Yeah, we've we've been challenged so many times, Nate, and it's such a, a common occurrence speaking with the, with the dads there. And, you know, that's why I say it, it's a parent's room. And don't get me wrong, the overwhelming majority of, of mums are fantastic with me, like so supportive, just great. But those times where we have been challenged and you point out, you know, it's usually oh, I'm here breastfeeding. And that's why I say, well, I'm here to take my daughter to the toilet. And sometimes at my age, my daughter's bladder is a lot better than mine. And when we're out, we need to use the parents' room because I can't leave her standing outside the men's toilet while I go there. So we'll go in, we'll use the parents' room, and I leave my daughter in the uh, waiting or the feeding area 
while I go in and use the toilet. And I copped a big spray one day. This is an immense toilet, you know. So I've come here with my daughter. She didn't go to the toilet. I've gone over. I can't leave her standing outside the men's toilets on her own at that stage, about four years old, while I go to the toilet. And this lady even said, well, you need to organise yourself better. And I said, well, I don't understand. This is a parent's room, but you're not using it to do parenting things. I've gone, well, if she had have come into the toilet with me, would you have been happy then? So, oh, but I'm breastfeeding. Well, good on you and more power to you. And you've got the right to do that anywhere. And I'll fight for that right, whether it be at work, a restaurant, anything like that. You're feeding your baby. It's a wonderful, good thing. I can't actually go out in the hallway and pee while I'm holding my daughter's hand, can I? So she actually called the, the security and the manager. And I'm walking, as we're walking, I had the security guy come up and question me. I said, mate, you're kidding? Like, really? Oh, no, this lady, she's made a complaint that you've gone into the parents' room. I've gone, whose hand am I holding? Why do you think I'm in there? Oh, why did she complain? I don't know. You need to ask her that question, but I'm done. I'm not speaking to you anymore. But it happens a lot, a lot with men. And, you know, the fact that we don't have change tables in men's toilets where there are parents' rooms is a sad indictment mm-hmm. on the outdated gender things. Well, it's like, what, so dads don't change nappies? Is it a mum's job? Even when you look at the packaging on nappies, <laughs> You know, I think I've found one one Australian brand. It was an organic nappy with a really cool dab with dreadlocks with a man on the nappy packaging. And it's just ridiculous. And we wonder why we can't move forward into our contemporary parenting paradigm. It's because marketing people's perceptions, it's just ridiculous, no? Now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever seen a packet of nappies with a man on it. Mate, my daughter was, we were in the supermarket. I think she was about uh, seven. It wasn't that long ago, seven or eight. And at seven or eight years old, she looks at me and she says, Dad, why are there no boys on any of these packages? I said, gee, you know, I hadn't noticed. So we actually walked the aisles, went and got a pen and paper out of the car, walked the aisles, took photographs of every product we could find with a person on it. We found 28 products with a picture of a person on it. Out of that, only three had men on it. And it was Mr. Muscle, Mr. Sheen, and that organic nappy brain. <laughs> so everything from dishwashing liquid to laundry powder to baby products to cake mix, everything, furniture polish, all women. So at seven or eight years of age, my daughter is being told that domestic duties are somehow a woman's job. We rightfully call out the you know obvious, blatant, sexist things, but this subversive, subtle, insidious marketing background noise that's just in there all the time sneaks by the radar and it just sets the tone while it's you know mum's job to do the dishes mum's job to do the laundry mum's job and that's why i said you know good luck to any any partner that my daughter has that thinks that you know these outdated uh, gender roles are going to be applicable to her because if there's anything good about the um, high divorce rate hopefully it's that there are no mum jobs and dad jobs. It's just shit needs to get done jobs because it's just ridiculous with how we assign certain assumptions and tasks. If I ask a group of boys to picture a CEO or a captain of a sports team, 
no mm. girls. You know, we've got some of the greatest, Australia's best ever sporting coach, and we get everyone from Mick Moldhouse to Kevin Sheedy to all of these things. Lisa Alexander for the uh, Australian Diamonds has got an 82% winning ratio. Mick Moldhouse is around 50, 48 or something. And, you know, and that's why I say, you say, who's the best CEO? And you get all of these men and it's just wrong. So we need to outdo that. And when you say to somebody, you know, pictures somebody there changing nappy and giving baby a bottle and it's always a mum. Mm. Yeah, well, as, as for that, that domestic sort of side of things, with my son, I'm trying to teach him that it's, it's not about this is this person's job and that's that person's job. Mate, we live in this house together. You use the dishes as much as I do. You walk over these floors as much as I do. You know, we're here to live together. Let's work together and keep our living living situation tidy. You know, he's five years old. He helps wipe up the dishes, you know, and he'll, he'll help prepare dinner. He helps me do the grocery shopping, you know. And, I mean, I grew up in a in a house where it was very stereotypical. Dad was at work. Mum raised. Mum was barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and raising four other kids, you know. And I don't know, it, it never really picked up on it for myself when I was a kid because I thought that's how it was supposed to be. Oh, I'm 100% now, the same. Yeah, yeah. And so now if I could, um, and it goes back to this, uh, to the providing for the family, but if I could and the, the money wasn't going to be an issue, I'd quit yesterday and I'd be a stay-at-home dad full-time because – I'm living my, my best life as a dad. You know, yeah. beforehand, I used to, people used to go, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a welder, you know, or I'm a fabricator or I'm this, that, or the other. Now it's, oh, I'm a dad, but I'm also a welder. I'm also, I also do this. I also do that. But being a dad is my most important role. 100%, mate. That's, that's the thing. My, my mum and dad, dad was a provider. My mum didn't even have a licence until dad had his stroke because dad did everything for it and it worked beautifully they were married their entire life had a great life mum mum i assume you know we haven't had great in-depth conversations about it but everything seemed to work great and that's why i say please don't ever think that i'm um being dismissive of stay-at-home mums but it should be a balanced choice and for dads that's why i say to me if you don't think women's equality is an issue for you if you think that's their thing and while you might be supportive of it you actually want to get out and advocate for it because if you really want to stay at home guess what it's going to be a lot easier if the gender pay gap's not a thing it's going to be a lot easier if you're not perceived as weak and she's not perceived as you know wearing the pants in a family and you know so until parenting is seen as vital it's actually where our society forms whether it's a mum or a dad doing it it needs to be respected. So, you know, don't think that it's, you know, they're at home all day with their feet up watching Oprah while you're at work because it's it's not, not the way it is. And women aren't paid superannuation as part of their maternity leave, and you might think that doesn't affect you. But if you remain together, you retire with less as a family. Mm -hmm. I can't think of another gendered issue, the fact that, they don't get paid maternity leave. They have to take that, that superannuation while they're on maternity leave. They, 
like, why should they not be paid? You get paid superannuation on your holiday leave. Mm. Why don't you get it when you have to take time off to have that child? And if you do separate, guess what they're going to do when you separate? They're going to say, hey, sunshine, you were earning super the whole time. You've got more. So guess what you're going to do? We're going to take some of your super in an equitable outcome to an unequal situation to make it right that she missed out. So it affects us men. So there's no women's equality and men's equality. In my book, there's, there's a uh, last chapter or second last chapter called Ubuntu, which is the South African um, philosophy is all together as one, as a collective. And that's what we need to do with equality. There's not women's equality and men's equality. There's equality. And all of us suffer under the patriarchal system that says men behave this way, women behave that way. Because apart from uh, career and maybe income, men die earlier, we're more likely to be homeless, we're more likely to be the victim of violent assault. You know, we have superficial relationships, we lose contact with our children, we have a bigger burden of disease. All of this because we want to be, what, blokes? that aren't in touch with themselves and don't do their share of caring and miss out on those things. No, it's equality is a thing that will affect all of us. Yeah. And I mean, I take, I take that approach with our family. Nowadays, I think it's a lot harder to survive on a single income. I don't, I don't know how we would live without having both incomes coming into the house, but having, having that dual income coming in, it, it helps. I mean, because I'm having to do half the, half the household work too, because we're both at work the same amount of time. Both spend, spend 50 hours a week at, at home. Plus we've got a parent and run the house together as well. So, so I try to try to make that, make it like that Ubuntu where we're all just working together and, and trying to be equal uh, to each other. The other, the other point there is, as well as that, I see a lot of, like in the dad's groups, they separate all this stuff in the relationship. There's my wife's money and my money. You know, I give her this money for the bills and then she still asks me for more money, but she has her money. And that blows my mind because if you're living in the one household, you've got one set of bills, you've got one set, one lot of grocery shopping. Why are you not working together and pulling that money to it's not it's not my money and her money it's the family's money yeah no, i'm this i'm the same night i i do see that and i i do notice it and i i don't understand it i'm not sure whether it's an insecurity in the relationship whether it's we need to keep track of this just in case something goes wrong well i you know i'd rather uh you know if i didn't want to do it and i didn't think it was worthwhile i wouldn't do it and if it all ended tomorrow then you know we can't can't go back and go oh you know i shouldn't have done that and i shouldn't have done that because at the moment everything i do is what i really want to do and what i think is fair and equitable and worth it and so it doesn't matter what tomorrow brings i've made these decisions based on this situation but you know, we see a lot of it right across the board in today's society where we've uh, micromanaged and analysed everything down to, you know, the nth degree. And I don't know whether it serves as well as a society, but, you know, here we are. 
That's right. No, I don't. I think you're right. I don't think it serves us as a society at all. And I think until people start really looking at parenting as a not a not a motherly role or a fatherly role or or whatever, just as a parental role, I don't yep. think society is going to change at all. No, and you know, like saying no, I would have slept walked into this stereotypical role i i honestly believe that mums had that secret sauce because well you know they're just girls but what happens with that it stops dad speaking up you know at the moment we know that between one in seven and one in ten men suffer uh perinatal depression you know whether it be the three or six months after where we hit the slump but we want to be stoic we want to be we're there for the mum shut up it's not about you it's about mum we've got to be supportive Mm-hmm. And bit by bit, we chink away because we're less function. We're not ourselves. Our lives suffer. And so does our relationship. And we can do damage there. What happens with women is because they're meant to know this, it's meant to be natural. Women just love kids and have them and it's easy. A lot of the times if a mum's struggling with uh, anything, all the normal frustrations of raising, raising a child, everything from colic through to sleep deprivation, all the way through to postnatal depression, they're hesitant to speak up because they fear being seen not only flawed as a mum, but flawed as a woman because mm-hmm. of this ridiculous weight of expectations that, oh, you know, you're a mate, it's just, you know, oh, you'll love it. And all these fetishized Disney depictions of Hallmark card type motherhood, it's a greatest, you know, there is. When you haven't slept more than three hours for weeks on end and when you've got no clue what's upsetting baby and you don't want to ask and your friends are all saying, oh, is that lovely? It must be great. A lot of the times the mums I speak to were too embarrassed or too self-conscious to actually say, you know what, until it got to crisis point, until I actually had some really dark thoughts and was comfortable enough to speak up, I just didn't do it. So, and that's why I say to dad, you know, I was always consciously incompetent. I knew I was an idiot. I knew I had no idea. So I went out and looked and asked for help. And it's like the green whistle that we use in pain medication. When you see the ambos and the footballers, you know, it's here's a whistle. Just knowing that you're in control of your own pain relief, you use somewhere between 20 and 30% less pain medication to manage that stress that pain than what you would waiting going you know what oh, i need pain i need pain and they actually have to put more up but just knowing you can in control of it and just knowing that i had a support system that i had my mom my sister i had a million women friends that you know were just constantly on me if you need help let me know and my daughter had a better social life than I ever had. People wanted to take her out for dates and getting her hair done and out for cake and hot chocolate and everything. So I was really lucky and I was never scared or embarrassed to use it. And, you know, there was nothing for me to sit there and go, gee, you know, when should I introduce solids? You know, like, is this normal? Is that normal? Instead of sitting there and stressing and I would get a consensus of people and as I said when I went off and began studying developmental psychology hey I was pretty good on the mark but I doubted my instincts that much that I sought reassurance from people who had experience with it whereas a lot of mums 
do the research if they're unsure, but don't reach out and ask for it because, you know, they think I'm meant to just know this stuff. Absolutely. Well, mate, look, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. Uh, before we do go, um, would you like to plug your book or is there is there some way that dads are able to uh, follow you, your, you and your advocacy? Yep, it's called Who Knew? From Bouncing and Barbells to Ballet and Braids. Um, you can get hold of me through michaelray.com.au. A lot of stuff on there. I'm big on LinkedIn and got uh, Michael Ray Solo Dad Facebook page and keep your eye out for our series of kids books called A Step in the Right Direction. Awesome. I can't wait to check that out. Can't wait. Well, I'll make sure that all those links are down in the show notes, Michael, and thank you for your time today, mate. No worries, Nate. Thanks for the conversation. I loved it. Thanks for listening to the show. If you want to find out more about today's guest, just check out the links in the show notes. You can follow the podcast as well on social media at Not So Secret Dads Business or on our website, notsosecretdadsbusiness.com. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please rate and review the show. It helps more than you realize. Until next time, guys, be the best dad you can be.